Welcome to the Wicked Aloha podcast. On today's episode, we are talking with Mr. Scott Ide, who you may not know, but he has a very long resume of ultra long distance paddling races to his name. This includes the grueling Texas water safari. So everyone sit back and enjoy Scott Ide. Just run down the Yukon River with us, man. It's plastic. Along with our, class, our talking gerbil. <laughs> talking gerbil? I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah, because why, why wouldn't you have a talking gerbil when you're going down the Yukon? Yeah, it's good It's good to have this sort of mascot in these situations. Yeah. It's not especially something that talks when you just need something to be like, completely take your mind out of the misery that you're in. It's like, oh. That's I had, uh, I had uh, Bert from Bert and Ernie in a in a canoe. It's a little bath toy, and that that made the trip of the Texas Water Safari. And I trained, I trained with Bert too. That's <laughs> fucking awesome. Like Bert? What's that? So Bert, a guy, yeah, a guy named Bert. You trained with a guy named Bert, or did you? Well, bring- no, like it was a that was a bath toy. Right, right, right. Yeah, but it, uh, I had Bert, and like Bert became like, like the focal point for like, like negative emotions. You'd be like, How, "How's your training for the big race?" I'm like, "I'm fine." Bert's really nervous, but I'm cool. Everything's fine. Nice. It would just get transference of anxiety and stuff under Bert. And you were gonna do, you were doing Bart's Bunny this year, right? Before they they scrapped the water safari. Yeah. Are we recording right now? Yeah. Oh, do we, do we start? No, we are starting. <laughs> no intro. We're good. There we are. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, yes. Scott I. Welcome to the Wicked Aloha podcast. Thanks, uh, Phil. You're, you've been paddling for a long, long time. Uh, you've been paddling Outrigger for over 15 years. You've paddled the Blackburn Challenge, one of our favorite races, over, over 10 times, 13 times. You've been a podium finisher at Chatta Jack. You've raced all over the Northeast and Canada, and you've done the Texas Water Safari. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Phil. Um, yeah, hey, hey, looking at the um, – good to be here. I, I guess just to jump in right away. So you've done the Texas Water Safari, which is crazy. You've done the 50-mile and the 80-mile Muskoka River X. You've done the Adirondack 90. And how long is the K2L? Uh, the Kingston to Ottawa race that they call the K2O is um, 200 kilometers. That's like <laughs> it's 120 miles. I got but I got lost and I add another six miles. Sweet. So but, I guess the, the basic question is like, why? What what draws you to these big ass races? Yeah, that's that's always the question, and I was just listening to. Um, What's Jen's? How do you pronounce Jen's last name that you just had on? Fratsky. Fratsky. Boy, she's good. And she uh, and I heard her podcast too, and she's her own podcast is fabulous. So uh, I think I'm a happier person when I'm exercising. When I don't exercise, I get grumpy, and <laughs> things things of life are not as easy. And then, um, but that doesn't quite answer the question. So sometimes it helps 
I don't know, Jen's answer was pretty good. Like a focal point beyond like family, career, like an, another thing to kind of um, to train for. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I have to think about it some more. I well, have time to think about it, but I still don't know how to answer it. It's a good well, question. It's hard to let's, answer. Let's back up a minute. Let's, um, yeah. let's, we talked about it a little bit. Um, like barely touched on it before we started recording, but uh, let's just talk about your daily life for a minute. Um, so you, you work at MIT. Yep. So what? Walk us through a typical a typical week. Like what what is what is your commute like? Uh, what's your day to day? And then yeah, kind of walk us through that. Well, it's let's different. There. It's different now. It's different now because everything's different for everybody right now. Everyone, obviously. but it, yeah. So I live, I live about 25 miles out of outside of town, um, Massachusetts, and so that commute, when things are normal, that commute could be anywhere from 45 minutes to <laughs> and 45 minutes to an hour and a half. Like 45 minutes is like a traffic miracle, we call it. But now there's more. The upside of COVID is just more traffic miracles where things go quickly. Yeah. So, the, so I, I live yeah. in in the North shore of Massachusetts for a while and traveling in and out of Boston, it's like 45 minutes is the shortest commute you have yeah, trying I mean, to get into Boston. So right. it's like Somerville to uh, Boston for it, people it who know be, what yeah. places are, they almost, they pretty much border each other. So, um, yeah, my job, um, I think it, it, so, so the commute would be significant during normal times, um, that job is Monday through Friday usually. Sometimes there's things that come up in the off hours. Um, I work in the chemistry department, and I do I do safety for them. And so I, I really enjoy working there. I work with a lot of smart people. I so so you're, you're basically out of the house from 7, 7 a.m., 8, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m.? On a daily basis. Yeah, it, it 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 typically. Right now, it's different. Do you have kids? I have a daughter. Yeah. You have a daughter. Yep. So her name is Jura. She's twelve. So, so you're 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 working, you know, your your regular forty-hour week, plus commuting, yep. plus you have a daughter, yep. and somehow you are not only racing these super long races, which is a huge commitment. But you're also somehow training for them because you obviously can't just get off the couch and go and do a 200-kilometer race. So how 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 does that happen? Well, part of it is um, so you have to be creative. Um, so part of it is that my daughter is with us half time, which we because I was married before. Okay. So I'm, re I'm remarried. Her, my wife's name is Mary Kay. She's a great stepmom to my daughter. And um, Mary Kay and I paddle together. So right there, you got the benefit of having a mutual, you call it a hobby, but sometimes it's more than that with your spouse. So that's, that's pretty helpful. And, um, and so I have, you know, probably half the time, it's just Mary Kay and I and, and when we're not working, right? Yeah. And so, so there's that. Um, it, it, it gets challenging because we're. It gets more challenging during the winter. Yeah, that was. 
we're still trying to paddle. We're usually finding rivers that um, that are more narrow and have flow to them that'll freeze up later. And it's you try to be creative with your um, commute. There's a place halfway to work where I can go paddle on the Charles River sometimes, and I've done that on the way to work. Uh, get there pre-dawn and paddle, and then get back in the truck and keep going. Uh, or the same, maybe out of work the same the same sort of way halfway through your commute. Um, so it yeah, it's challenging for sure. How many hours would you say you you paddle on a on any given week? Could you pick a normal world? Could you pick a month? <laughs> Can you uh, pick like a time of year? You remember November. Uh, yeah. nope. <laughs> November's after Chattachack. All right. Okay. So, so September. <laughs> so two hours a week in November because I'm exhausted from Chattachack. Um, uh, lead up. Uh, let's talk about lead up to Chattachack. So September, October. Um, I, I'm gonna say maybe eight hours a week. September, October. By the time you know, in the Northeast, when you're training up for Chattajack, it gets it gets real challenging in October because the days are getting shorter, yeah. the water's getting colder, or the air temperature's getting colder. Um, yeah, and then um, you, you know, like April, May, June, those July, those there might be 15 hours a week, might be more. Um, I kind of look at it in terms of cumulative hours in, at the beginning of the season, beginning of the calendar year, really. So January 1 until Texas Water Safari in 2019, which is the second week of June, I was at 160 hours of paddling for that period of time. For that, what is that? It's not really six months, it's five months and change. Yeah. So 160 hours to get ready for that race. Did you establish that number or just that's what you landed at? Or is that something where you sit down and you go, I need to get this amount of hours before I start this race? Yeah. So that, that's a great question. Cause that's a, that's a lead into, uh, I think an important aspect of the sport is to, if you can try to surround your people, surround yourself with people who are better athletes than you, better paddlers. And there's a, there's a group of people that I tend to paddle with, um, and they're making all this sort of normal, all this training, and uh, they're trying to get a lot of hours in. So, uh, so it, it it ties in. It, that becomes a social thing too. I don't know if I answered your question, Patrick. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're kind of getting feedback on that number from these more experienced people. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. These these are guys. Uh, there's a there's there's two uh, brothers that are really good athletes, Seth Miller and Stephen Miller, and it's. It's not the Steve Miller that you think, and it's not the other Steve Miller. So, um, so those those two guys are um, they go to a race every year called uh, the Asabo uh, Asabo River uh, Canoe Marathon, and um, and so um, by the time they get there, they're they're over two hundred hours. And, and when's that race? Um, that's it, it would have been this past weekend. So that's the end of July. From it's, January one, they get two hundred hours. Yeah, it, thereabouts, thereabouts. And and also Steve, Steve's been doing the Yukon River Quest the last two years. And uh, the the hours really ramp up 
like the month before, two months before the big event where you're trying to, you try to go out, you're trying to have a lot of five hour days and you were trying to do back to back days, which is a little counterintuitive because usually, you know, most people want to rest. So you might have, um, a day where you do three hours of paddling and then the next day it's six hours and that will, that'll get you there. If you could do that a few times, that will get you to a lot of long races or they you might do five hours one day then five hours the next day, which is really, it's really difficult. And, um, that, that will get you there as far as long races, in my opinion. Well, I've seen it, I've seen it work. I've seen it work for yeah. these guys who are better than me, and it's worked for me. Yeah. Surprisingly, that math breaks down to only eight hours a week, but I guess that's if it's you're fun. doing if you're doing three three paddles a week, that's pretty substantial. Yeah, and I and I could I could be kind of misrepresenting a little bit. It'll the hours will ramp up in April, May, June. Yeah. Depending yeah. on what bases. Yeah, and in January, February, obviously you got build phases and and base and all that, so. Yeah, January, February, they're you're you're basically paddling. You're paddling a lot less. Yeah. The light isn't there. Do you do do you do off water work during the winter months? I do. Yeah. What, I have a, what, kind, what kind of stuff are you doing? Right. Um, water. So I'm trying to do the bait you know, like the basic strength stuff. I'm not a really strong guy, but I I go to the gym and do what most people are considered you know typical strength training i try to do a lot of shoulder stuff when i'm smart i'm doing a lot of um a lot of exercises for rotator cuff to try to prevent the injuries that will haunt us they'll come around eventually um so yeah and then usually some sort of other cardio um yeah i remember when I, when i lived in the northeast um before i came out here and i was training quite a bit um, during those winter months, my gym routine was instead of doing like strength training, it was more, more strength endurance training. And so instead of doing three sets of 10, I would do a set of five minutes. And so I'd just be, you know, at one machine or something for five minutes straight, just, just doing the same, like just yep. nothing but reps and people would just walk by like, what are you doing? You're are still you, here. Like, are you, are you, are you going to be done soon? Your time's yeah. up. It's time to move on. Yeah. And I'd just I, still just yep. be like cranking out reps and, and it was just, just trying to get the reps in basically. But at the same time I was, you know, I was on the water pre-dawn headlamp, freezing cold and just praying that I didn't fall in. Um, <laughs> yeah. I want to, I try to do, yeah, I do do a lot of cable stuff. I haven't thought about this part in a while. I do a lot of cable stuff, a lot of, you know, that pulling motion, like sort of the, your bottom hand on the paddle. And I, and I'm, I sit down when I paddle and I'm paddling mostly regular canoes at this point. Uh, but that, you know, that pull, uh, whether, oh, yeah. it's, whether it's a dumbbell pulled over, uh, bent over row, or if it's a cable, you could, you could do that over and over again, you know, if you have a good setup. Um, so, and then I, I've done races where you have to portage a lot, or as they say in Texas, portage. And, um, and, and it becomes important to work those muscles that, 
you know, stepping up out of the river, um, out of the lake, you know, having worked in the core, picking things. I, you know, the hex, you guys know the hex bar that you typically see in a gym. We could stand, you could stand inside of it and do deadlifts with the hex bar. Yep. I sometimes pick that up over my head and just press it a bunch of times over my head. The same sort of motion as, as if you were picking up a canoe. Oh yeah. And then, and then like some sort of like, uh, some sort of variation of a, of a farmer's carry. I'm not super strong, but I'm carrying something around the gym over and over again, stepping up on things, stepping down. My legs are not that strong, so I always have to work on that. Too. I remember, I remember the first time I did the Charles River race. That that portage that goes, <laughs> hear that portage, not portage. Mm. Uh, that, that's the that's the Boston accent. Portage. Uh, that that portage that, that goes through Newton. That's like a half mile long. Yeah, yeah. down behind the bank. I I had no estimation for that at all going into that race, and wow. when I hit that, I was just Full that absolutely. That absolutely drained the shit out of me, and yeah. I, I, when I got back to the water, I was like, "Oh my god, thank you, that is over." Yep. And yeah, that's the 19 mile race. They don't do that one anymore. That sucks. It was yeah. all police budget. <laughs> the I used to love it. The cops would stop the traffic on. I think it was Route 16. You felt like a hero. Yeah, that's the importance I'm talking about. Yeah. I know. I know it. I've done I've done that race like several times, and sometimes but, when I I would train that route too, I would go upstream and downstream like when I by myself when I was training from Muskoka River X, um, and just be out there for like five hours, and uh, try to hit try to hit those uh, portages early in the morning so there's less traffic. Yeah. Yeah, the first time I did that race, I, I get off the bank and. I just kind of follow the cop's direction and you finally get to like this, this parking lot almost. And it's the longest freaking parking lot. It's like, it's, when is this thing going to end? And then you eventually get to the water and you're just like, thank you. Well, one year, one year that, that, that's the first uh, sort of flat water race that Mary Kay and I did. Um, but that was the first year, race that I did. Oh, right on. So one year when I did it, it was, one year when I did it, there was a there was a gentleman smoking a cigar at the end of the uh, parking lot, and I was like, <laughs> why, would you, "Why would you spectate and smoke a cigar when you like?" It was just, it was wicked. I was like, <laughs> I could barely breathe. You know, my heart is like pound, pound, pound. So, uh, yeah. Listen, so the, the thing about that one too is the timing where. Most of us, well, me, you come off of basically doing nothing all winter, and then you do your power 19 miles in mid-April, and it's like, oh, boy, connected yeah. tissue issues. Yeah, I had never paddled more than, I think, five or six miles when I signed <laughs> yeah. up for that race. And, yeah. And at the time, I was only paddling surfboards, and yeah. I show up to the race, and Patrick has this, like, brand-new displacement hall board that – he had just built or something. And I'm like, oh, hey, that thing great. was such a piece of shit. It was basically a piece of EPS foam that I turned into a point and then like rounded the bottom. It was oh. the first race I ever did, the first board I ever made for a race board. And I, I, you've heard this story on this podcast before of Sean McDonald from New Hampshire. He showed up and he had like, I mean, none of us knew. It was, it was 19 miles. It was like, oh man, are we going to survive 19 miles? And he showed up with like three dry bags on his board. Yeah. And at that Newton portage, she actually sat down on that when when you cross over that bridge part. 
yeah. he sat down and started making sandwiches and took a nap. Like, we finished up, and Will came in, and we're all sitting there like, what the hell happened to Sean? And he came in at like 6.45, seven hours, <laughs> and he had, to stop. He, he, made, he had a picnic and took a nap. It was like, what? It was amazing. It's still one of my favorite race stories ever. Will, how did Will? How did you do with Bemis Broken Dam? That's that rapid. It oh, I did fine. Yeah. I did well, fine because I, I had been right, right had before. Been, there's always somebody watching to see, uh -huh. to see people mess up. Go ahead, Will. I'm sorry. I, I had been used to to surfing, so yeah. it was just like, as long as you didn't catch your fin on a rock, then you were fine. Yeah. So. Yep. Um, tell us about the Texas Water Safari because that is a race I know absolutely nothing about i've heard about yeah. it just being an absolute grueling race it is. and I, I don't think i've ever talked to somebody who's actually done it so yeah. um yeah so sure walk us through that yeah so uh so like this i i think i'm coming back to the why like why I do these so so it, it last year i turned 50 and and this sort of speaks to um this sort of speaks to being able to do a sport as you're getting older. Um, but it, for my 50th birthday, this is what I wanted to do uh, to myself, <laughs> was to do the Texas Water Safari. And so I, 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 Mary Kay kept on asking me, because she's awesome, what do you want for your 50th birthday? And it took a while to really, for me to figure it out, and for me to, then, then I had to explain it to her. I was like, I want to do this race, the Texas Water Safari. And she's like, all right. And so she was very supportive in it, and that's important because um, it's very time-consuming training, as you guys know. But the Texas Water Safari is—it's um, been going on since the uh, the mid 1960s or earlier, although it started off as a different sort of scenario. So it's a race that's well established, and there are people who do it certainly every year. There's, I'm sure there's people who've done it 30 times. And it, it starts off in, uh, in San Marcos, uh, Texas, which is a college town. And um, it terminates in uh, Sea Drift, Texas, which is on the Gulf Coast. So it's a 260 mile, it's probably 265 really, but it's about 260 miles. Um, and it's a race that it, there's no mandatory stops. Um, in terms of time, there's no time holdovers, uh, so the clock just keeps ticking. Um, it starts uh, generally the second Saturday of June, nine o'clock in the morning. There's a mass start. I want to say when I did it, there were 180 boats, but I could be wrong. Um, what's what's the area like where the start is? Is it congested? Or is it pretty wide open? Uh, it's it, it's it's bumpy if you're on a um, a faster boat that's not that stable. It's a it's spring it's a spring fed uh, river, um, San Marcos's, and um, it's it's crowded. And, and then you 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 have a portage pretty much right away, like right away. Is it like a Le Mans start or like a water start or how's it? It's how a water is... start, but it but there's a I mean. In like less than a quarter mile, there's a portage that everybody's trying to get to. Right. So you're you're going through this path that's meant for maybe two canoes wide, and everybody's trying to get through it. Yeah. So that's like it's an interesting start. In that it's that that's really interesting because a lot of times you, you hear that you know endurance races or long distance races, the start isn't important, but it seems like 
with that race, the start is very important. And yeah. If you, don't, it, if you don't get a good start and get good positioning, then, you know, you, it could lead to more downfalls throughout the... So, so they give you... Uh, so there's, there might be five boats um, in a row, and, and row after row, and they give you... Um, they have this almost like a formula. There's a there's a race that they have maybe in April that helps to assign a start position, but we didn't do that race, and that's it, we're accommodated because we're not from the area. Um, to uh, they gave us like the tenth row, which is a pretty good place to start, which made me a little nervous because I I wasn't interested in going hard at first because it's 260 mile race. I think one of the overarching um, sort of like philosophies or um, strategies, I should say, for somebody who hasn't done the race is in the first days to try not to get hurt, um, try not to get worked over by the sun and don't let the river destroy your boat because some boats, some, some people end their race on that first day because the, the boat is, um, it gets caught up on something that's in the river, like a, like a tree that's been deposited there. And it turns sideways or a dam. It turns sideways. It fills with water. And then, as they say cool. in Texas, it, they say in Texas, you don't want to wrap the boat in the first day. So the boat wraps. In other words, it fills with water. And just, the water keeps coming. It just destroys it. So um, the San Marcos wow. River, yeah, San Marcos River has a way of destroying boats. It's like quick water, and there's few areas where there's class two rapids, class one, class two, and there's a lot of things, objects in the river that will take you out of the boat and where's yeah, that, 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 that sorry go ahead well i was just going to ask how fast the river was flowing not i mean certainly not as fast as the river that you guys were on up in the yukon but um i it varies and i i'm going to guess a couple miles an hour and i i'm sure there's gonna be somebody who listens to this from texas who's done the race 20 times be like that guy's wrong that yankee's wrong so um, <laughs> But you get you get the idea. So it's it's I would describe it as quick water, and there's there's lots of logs that are sitting. They're deposited right in the right where the current is, and it's the San Marcos River is um, more narrow. And then later, when it joins with a Guadalupe or Guadalupe River, it becomes wider. And um, after your first day, so your first 90 miles or so is the most technical. Then after that is you still have some current, but it's more of a slog. And where's that uh, dam in all those famous pictures? It's like a dam that people got to go down. Yeah, it's um, that's within the first five or six miles. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You have to go around that, or you shoot it? I went around it. I wasn't interested <laughs> in shooting it. Fifty-year-old <laughs> um, man doing a two hundred sixty-mile race. I don't want my race. So there's actually, if you search, there's lots of videos of that, right? Um, I want to see that's one of Vista Rapids. So there's some people just push their boat down it and like catch it on the other side. So there's three, there's three drops to that, and we portage around the whole thing. My partner and I were like, we're going around that. There's a video of somebody losing their uh, Lumacraft, it getting pinned. It was um, one of those gaps. It's about I say 16 feet and their boat is 17 feet. <laughs> and so you can, this poor guys, like their race was over in the first, that's within the first five or six miles, not the first three miles, I forget. But um, some boats, 
Uh, the longer big boats that you that really people's attention really get drawn to, the six person boats and stuff, they don't really have a choice. Like they're gonna they're gonna go through that. They're not gonna pick those huge boats up and carry them around. Uh, those boats are generally quite heavy, and um, so they'll they'll get a lot of people out of the boat and keep like maybe the bow paddler person in the front and the person in the back, the, the one paddling stern, and they'll they'll find their way through there and, and the other. Everybody else would jump around or swim down it and jump back in. But that's, uh, yeah, that's really early on in the race. And you did it in an aluminum boat? Yeah, so it, this speaks to, um, you know, sort of selection of boat and, and how you prepare for it. And so we're, we were, we were in the novice category. And so, um, Texas Water Safari is really well set up. It's very thoughtful about how they organize their race. They have an opportunity for folks who have never done the race before. Um, if they have a boat that is uh, aluminum or plastic, Royal X, and if it's 17.4 or shorter and, and you know has a certain width to it, then you could be in the novice uh, division. And it doesn't mean that you're not an experienced paddler, although I wouldn't say that I was you know, went in there with a, a whole lot of skill. But um, um, so you get to be in that division and it encourages people to use a 17 foot long boat is a lot better bet that first day. Those boats that hold like six people, three to six people, they are long and you, you need to know how to navigate that boat and get it around. So like, so Will, you imagine something the length of an OC6 you know, with no outrigger on it, and you're you're bringing around stuff that's sort of like um, sort of like the Charles River at times, where it's tight and windy. Not the Charles River out by the colleges that everybody else knows about, but yeah. it, you know, it's it it's really a feat getting those big long boats um, down the first parts of the race, and to do that as somebody who's never been there before, or maybe you just had a day to practice, is uh, is difficult. So it's a it's a better bet to have a really durable boat that's about 17 feet long. And so their Alumacraft um, makes these boats. They used to make them and then they kind of stopped and they'll make them on demand aluminum, um, Alumacraft Voyager. And uh, they're a thinner gauge of aluminum, they're a little bit lighter. So they're around 60 some odd pounds instead of like a Grumman would be like 75 pounds. And then they're retrofitted, they're outfitted with, um, sliding seats and uh the the compartments are taken apart the bench seats are taken out and um and you put foam in there to hold your drinks and it makes some you know they're modified do so, you, uh, you guys ever use tape uh, <laughs> this, is a, this is a joke for for will and for everybody else patrick patrick is a craftsman uh of sorts and um, not like craftsman, like a tool, although maybe. And um, so he's always teasing me about putting uh, gorilla grill tapes are a great product. I <laughs> if, if, if I could sponsor for, for gorilla tape, maybe I could work that in right now. But I use a lot of duct tape uh, to hold things into my canoes, and I take pictures and show off to Patrick. And all he says is, "That's a lot of tape in that boat." <laughs> I wouldn't say it's just you. It seems like the marathon community as a whole just loves the tape. Like we used the shit when we did Yukon Man. We had fucking in pipe insulation and tape 
and red yeah. dressed, and it was just like well, we probably went through three rolls just before we started. Yeah, the thermarest, double thermarest, and um, and Dude. Patrick, I told you, but Will, just in case Patrick tossed you to another canoe race, you you want to cut out like a V where your your tailbone sits in the back. The okay. second piece, right? The, the top piece. Yeah, the top piece. Your tailbone can go someplace without rubbing. Yeah. Over and over again. That, that would probably be nice. And I get a lot of um, for the Texas Water Safari, I get a lot of advice from a lot of paddlers, and most, you know, and actually a lot of them were um, were women, and they're really, really, really good paddlers. Uh, Holly Orr and. Um, that's her company we rented from uh, Paddle Style and this woman named Molly Binion and Debbie Richardson and all, a lot of different paddles. But one of the things that was impressed on me is to, uh, is there's this, there's this um, diaper rash cream that everybody uses and, mm -hmm. uh, and to apply that liberally to your, to your undercarriage and it, and it helps you not get your skin quite as beat up. Is that the same stuff the body surfers use in Hawaii? It's got like a, it's got zinc in it. It's white. Yeah. With the butt paste. Yeah. The yeah. Butt. What's it called? It's the, there's a it's like a Kleenex name. It's like uh. There's a, there's a certain name and it. it's a scheme. Yeah. Uh, how do you, how do you find a partner for a race like that? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, Patrick and I have known each other for over over ten years now, and so. Um, when he asked me to do the Yukon, it was kind of a no-brainer in, in my mind. Um, I don't know if you had a similar scenario when yep. you decided to do the Texas Water Safari, but um, we talked a little bit about, about this to Jen uh, in our last last episode just about choosing a partner. But how, how did you go about finding someone um, crazy enough to, to do a 260-mile race in the middle of Texas in the blazing heat with you? Yeah, so when I... When I did uh, K2O, uh, I did it in a, in a hurricane outrigger canoe. And, and when I did um, Muskoka River X, I did it in um, a Winona Prism. It's a one-person canoe. So I'd done, I'd done three kind of, I guess, ultra-long races by myself. And then I was going to do Texas Water Safari by myself. And there was a kind of an intervention uh, where the, the guys I paddle with up in the Northeast were like, you know, you, you need to get a partner. And I was like, well, none of you guys want to do it with me. They're like, well, we're going to start out to ask around. Um, and so uh, it, as it as it turned out, I solicited um, this guy, uh, Mike Hayes, who had generally beat me at uh, Muskoka River X to MRX races. We raced C1 against each other. And I was like, would, would you like to do this race with me? And he was like, oh, I think so. And so he, he had done races. Um, he had done a race. Um, uh, it's one in Central America I can't think of. It, it's, so he's done. He, the one in Belize? Belize, yeah, yeah. So he had written this. Um, it's a C3. So it's a three-person canoes. The Cha, Cha something, right? Yeah. 20-foot three-person canoes? Yeah. And yeah. so Mike, Mike Hayes had gone out and done, he'd done those races. And um, I can't, I'm trying to think of the name of it, but I'm lost on that. I'll Google it. Yeah, you'll find it pretty readily. So I knew he was good in heat. And, and racing against him in Muskoka, he, he's a better paddler than me. He's more skilled. 
And, La Ruta uh, Maya, that one? Yeah, that's that's the one. So Mike yeah. had done that a bunch of times. And so I was like, well, this is a good partner, you know? And he's a really nice guy. So I asked him, but there's a, it's a will, there's a really short list. I mean, it, it it's, um, you know, it, it, there aren't a lot of people who want to do these races more than once. Um, and, then to, <laughs> and then you have to partner with somebody. They want to know, you want to be of similar sort of skill set or it gets very frustrating. Yeah, or uh, can and uh, and then it's just timing. So I asked like Hayes, and he said he said yes, and he was a great partner. He was in the bow, he was in, and uh, I was the stern, and boy, he was really good. And he had been trained up by um, a guy named Bob Vincent, who's been racing canoes in Canada for 50 years, literally. And is this um, the one that won Rivercross last year? It's right, Mike Vincent. Mike Vincent is a he's a beast. Yeah, they, yeah. they won the whole thing in FC2, right? That's right. That's right. Like his partner. Yep. That's right. Oh. So, uh, yeah, so Mike Hayes did the race with me. So that's that's how that came about. So I, I can, yeah. Go ahead, Bob. Um, so the race is in June, and you live in New England. Mm-hmm. When did you when did you figure out that you were doing this race? Uh, and then, and then what, was, what was kind of your your game plan in terms of getting ready for it. So, yeah. yep. I mean, it doesn't start like you don't, you don't have very much daylight until That's right. April or May. That's and right. so that doesn't leave you very much time for a lot of training, especially if you're working 40 hours a week and yep. not to mention freezing cold temperatures of yep. water. Um, so what did your, what did your training plan look like um, basically for that winter? leading up to right before you know Texas so um, so I have a paddle machine okay so it might just have any digital readout it just uh, a seat and uh, it's very simple there's no you don't plug it in <laughs> it's a flywheel and a you know a, a, a paddle shaft connected to uh, to a cable and, and a seat and and I usually, I was usually watching the. There's a lot of Texas Water Safari videos out there. I'd be watching those. Um, so getting, getting out and paddling with the with the people I paddle with, um, getting with them, um, and then I I did have the benefit of going to Florida for a week in 2019 in March, and that was helpful because. Going there, uh, there's a group of people who go. There's many groups of people that go from the north. And I was able to stay at a house with um, nine other people that were all there to paddle twice a day for seven days. Um, on like the Rainbow River and the Silver River and uh, uh, the Wakikuchi. And uh, there's a few others. So we're there bunch of marathon paddlers that want to paddle, uh, friends of mine. And, and then there's other paddlers that came down from other areas, from Michigan, from Ontario. And, uh, you see it on the rainbow river and paddle. This is so cool. It is paddle twice a day for, for seven days. And at the end of that, we did the pickle race, uh, which is a fun little race that happens, um, in Florida, outside of Orlando, obviously. So, um, and so getting out in the weekend, getting out twice a weekend in the winter when things weren't frozen and, 
And then as, uh, you know, daylight savings time, when that changes, that's a big boon as far as you have a little bit more opportunity to get, to get paddling. And, uh, so, but what's interesting about going to, going to Florida for a week is you're, that in, in itself becomes a goal. I have to get ready to paddle, you know, two, three hour sessions a day for a week or almost that much. So you want to get ready to go down there and then doing it. Wilson can make a face. There were some afternoons where I, I did opt out. My friends will tell Two, me. three hour sessions a day. Well, I mean, there were, there were times where I wasn't doing all that. Like I was like, okay, guys, go ahead. I'm going to sit this one out. And they're like, no, you're not. I'm just so going to sit in the back and steer. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, these are generally, these are marathon pro boats, C2s and C1s and, um yeah so that that helps so i was trying to get ready for that so that became like a marker and then after that you feel kind of ramped up and then you come back and it's you know still cold but it's you you, you have less ice and I don't know. <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of work in the weekends and very understanding family life so uh that's really important that you have someone who understands what's going on yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate in that regard. My wife has no problems running shuttle for me if I want to do a downwinder or coming with me or, you know, bringing me snacks or she understands, she understands that if I, if I'm in training mode, it's just like, okay, just, just leave him alone and let him do his thing. The, so. the other thing I had to add was, um, some white water, uh, or at least downriver, I was inexperienced with that. And so in, uh, in New England, I, I did a couple of um, like class two races in canoe. And that, that helped. Right on. Um, is, it, is it primarily Texans or is it a pretty widespread group of people? Certainly the bulk of people who do the race are from Texas. I would say that people come from all over to do it. Um, there, there's a big paddling community in Michigan, um, and some people have gone to do it. It was difficult to find anybody from New England willing to go to Texas to do this race. They also had their own goals, their own races that they wanted to do. The, the big three marathon um, canoe races, the Triple Crown is uh, the General Clinton and in uh, on Memorial Day in Oneonta, New York, and we talked about um, they call it the marathon out in Asable, um out in Michigan, and um, then that's in July. Then at the at the end of the season is something called La Classique up in uh, Quebec, um, and those are the that for so for marathon canoe paddlers, those are the ones that they often fixate on, and those are the big races uh, that they're they're just trying to get ready for. I haven't done any. I tried it. I bought it two of them this year, and then you know, things happened. So, what, you didn't do the, the what was the second one you uh, the Ottawa one? That wasn't uh, the K two O. Yeah, those it, the ones that I've done are, are like ultra distance. But they're not races. part of that triple crown. They're not part of that sort of traditional triple crown that's been going on for a really long time. Those were those three races. Yeah, go ahead. What are the mileage on those? Um, 
the General Clinton um, on Memorial Day, that's a 70-mile race. Uh, the uh, Asable race is 120 miles. 120 miles with a 19-hour um, time limit. What? Yeah. And then... How fast is that current going? That's a C, yeah, that's a C2 pro boat race. That is, that's how that race is done at this current, at the beginning anyway. Um, and then La Classique is over three days. It's a stage race, but it's, it's a generally, it's, well, it's generally a C2 pro, pro boat race, uh, La Classique. These are a certain specification for these boats, for these race boats. Wow. So this kind of think about those three is is separate from the Texas Water Water Safari. It's separate from. Um, it's it's a it's a little different. There's people who do both, but it's different kind of paddling a little bit. Do you approach uh, different races differently now that you've done a race like the Water Safari? Um, in in terms of mindset, in terms of training, in terms of nutrition, because I feel like. You know, doing something like a Texas Water Safari, although I haven't done it, it seems like a pretty monumental achievement uh, race. And and so I would think that, you know, having done that, you just have a different gauge for um, approaching other races. It, it, it would it, the COVID really messed things up. For the season and and it's not a criticism of races getting canceled at all so uh the texas water safari was the last ultra race that i did in 2000 in june 2019. did you do child jack in 2019 sure yeah you did so yes so, so how so did did your perception of chatter jack change dramatically it's, yeah it's after yeah. were you just like Oh, I don't need to train for this. Like, because I, I remember when I, the first time I did Chad Jack, I was just like a ball of, yeah, a ball of nerves, and yeah. and then I had done some other things, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to Chad Jack. I can do this. It's not a, not a big deal. So, um, yeah. So yeah, great. Yeah, I'm glad you kind of rephrased it. It kind of helps me um, with it. Yeah, chat. So Chad Jack, when we did it in 2019, so Mary Kay and I did it in our. Um, it's Winona Jensen 18. It's a traditional, traditional, it's a Kevlar canoe that's open. It was really windy, like especially windy. And, I heard um, about that. Yeah, and so <laughs> while it had me paying attention, I was kind of like, okay, like this is going to be okay. Um, and it's not easy to go really hard for 31 plus miles, but yeah, I guess I'm not concerned about not finishing unless something really catastrophic were to happen, like the we flip over, or even then, I guess you could recover from that. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess it, I guess it, it, it made it feel like a 31 mile race, while is it is not easy because you have to go harder. Is um, when it got windier, I guess I, I felt a little bit more comfortable than I might otherwise. It's hard to compare the two races, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I don't want to, I, I don't want to minimize how awesome Chattajack is and how it's very difficult because you're going as hard as you can. The whole time you're yeah. Um, switching gears a minute. I, I really want to talk about Blackburn challenge. Right on. Me too. Um, I, I grew up in Gloucester. 
pretty much on the water. Like literally, like I could walk to the to the waterfront. So I grew up on the course. And so when I when I first did it, I was totally stoked, and I knew every every little turn and corner and pretty much everything about that whole course. And um, it's just a race that I, I had kind of like just put on a pedestal for so long. And then when I did it, I was like, ah, oh, I finally did it. Yes. It's on my belt. Like, I'm done. So uh, just, I don't know how you, you've done it 13 times. Like that's, yeah. Something's got to keep bringing you back. So, uh, yeah. So, Blackburn. yeah. So, um, in 2004, I decided to uh, start paddling Outrigger. I found Boston Outrigger located in um, Salem, Massachusetts, and uh, and uh, eventually I met Johnny O'Hara. Johnny O'Hara. I met Johnny O'Hara there eventually, <laughs> and um, I was working on my Johnny O'Hara imitation. Hey, what's going on, Patrick? So anyway, man. <laughs> sorry, Johnny. You got you got to talk about the past a little bit. Yeah, I'm just kidding, Johnny. <laughs> so no, um, he's it it yeah, John O'Hara introduced Patrick and I. Okay. Yeah. And and my wife actually worked with John O'Hara. Mary Kay worked they worked together at a club called the Outrigger in Gloucester. Which is really I, funny. Really? Yeah. So anyway, so in, in two thousand and four I was like I, I had been doing some other sports that was there was more contact, I'll just say. And so I wanted to do something different. And I found Boston Outrigger. And um and I started paddling with them. And that was a race they do that the club does every year. And uh that has been my tie-in to uh Blackburn Challenge is is being part of that organization, Boston Outrigger Bora. Uh, so so yeah, so the first year it was like April, May, 2004. I was figuring out OC6s, getting in the boat, figuring out the strokes, stuff like that. And that year I did Blackburn and that was the first year. And it was, it was really hard. It's, you know, it's not an easy race. It was really hard because my stroke was so like, it was all biceps and I didn't, yeah. quite, I didn't quite get it. And so, um, so with Boston Outrigger, I've gone back year after year, um, not always with the club, my wife have done it in OC2. I did it in OC1. Um, the year I did it, OC1, I came in. Um, I came in tenth place out of ten OC1s. <laughs> yes, that was that was humbling. And then, like three weeks later, <laughs> three weeks later, I went back into the course by myself in OC1 to do it 15 minutes faster because <laughs> I was so aggravated. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and so, um, and so we, and we've done it as like a training run too, like done the whole course, which I don't know if that's really a great idea because it takes a lot to recover from 20 miles of open water, open water paddling. But, um, I think the the most memorable, I don't think the most memorable year was 2015. It was, the water was big. It was like yeah. a Easter. So when you came out of the Anaswan river, for folks who don't know the race course, First three miles is uh, called the Anaswan River. It's the Salt River, and then it opens up to uh, like sort of like towards Ipswich Bay and Anasquam Light and all that. So right away there were there were big waves that were coming from the northeast, big swells. I 
people in New, New England might call them six footers, but people on Maui call them three footers probably. And um, it's, but it was big energy coming from the left. And there were boats that were turning around that were breaking, um, like two person rowers. The, the period of the waves was tight together. And so uh, there wasn't enough water in the middle of some of those boats to support them, and some of them broke. Uh, there were OC6, unlimited OC6s um, that broke. That What? Yeah, or were coming apart, and then they got towed, and then they really broke. And so maybe 25 to 30% of the field didn't finish. Um, and But we were in an OC4. At, it, it's a... It's an OC4 design that actually comes out of uh, Maine, and it's called the Duke. And so it was my wife, Mary Kay, her best friend, uh, Cindy Perry, and a, a guy named Scott Terrell, who also paddles sup. I call Scott, I call him the good Scott. And so I get to steer, and um, we had a great outing. We had a drain. The AMA was taking water, so we had mm -hmm. to find a spot at the halfway point to lift up the boat and drain the AMA. And, um, but later in the race, we had following seas, and then it was really calm over by the breakwater. We came back to the Gloucester Harbor. But that that was a great year. Um, yeah, when you turn that breakwater, it's almost like the Charles River when you're doing that, that portage and you get to that parking lot that's never-ending. Like, you, you uh, turn the breakwater, and it's like, oh, miles. it's right there. It's two miles goes right. on forever. And it's two miles. <laughs> Come on. And, then, and then, like, the, what I say to people, I go, it's two miles, and then there's, there's boats coming out of the inner harbor, and there's sailboats, and there's all kinds of other boats, and, like, they don't care about the race. Oh, no. no. Like, they care. Some of them care a little bit, but they're cutting right across where you want to go, and you're exhausted by that point. There's a lot of colorful language in that part of the race. At least for me, there is. <laughs> there is. If you're steering, there's usually people have better ideas about the line you should be taking. That's just what I've read. I always take the best line, but can't <laughs> yeah. I've definitely been like, where are we headed? Like, you're headed towards the cut. What are you doing? <laughs> well, they knocked down that big white building. They just have that hotel there, and I couldn't even. Yeah. Can you see it? I was like, where's that? It's always a it's always a crapshoot where you're gonna get that day because like you said it could be a nor'easter, you know you could look at the top like the tide is gonna be different every time you could be going you know against the tide for more than half half the race which doesn't sound like much but when you have you know a 12 or 13 foot exchange in tide that's that's a few knots against you and you're just basically on a treadmill so it's it's a it might only be 20 miles but it's a race that just it can beat the shit out of you. Really yeah, quickly. it can really pulverize you. Yeah. And then that, there's that. There's so many stretches where you're just. It just never seems to end. Like you can see the rock off off Brace Cove for forever, and you're just like, I am not getting any closer to that goddamn rock. Like, why isn't it getting any closer? <laughs> and you just, it, it's just countless little turns like that that just never end, and. It's just a total mind game, so. Yeah. Just put your head down and paddle. I know <laughs> it's, a, it's such it's such a great it's such a great race. I, I remember the first the first year I did it. Um, Mike Simpson and I came up from Rhode Island because I was living in Rhode Island at the time. And during the pre-race meeting, uh, we were doing it on a stand-up paddleboard. And during the pre-race meeting, the 
the organizer said, are there any questions for the stand-up paddle boards? In other words, do we have any questions about, about the race? And, you know, there was only like, there was less than 10 of us and we were all quiet. And then someone in the crowd goes, yeah, why are they here? Because <laughs> it's like stand-up paddleboarding wasn't really a thing. And um, I think it was that moment that kind of lit a fire under my ass that not only was I going to finish it, but I was going to finish it in a respectable time. And I was going to be back next year and also finish it. Yeah. And so on. And uh, you, so still have the, you still have the stand-up record. Do I? Yeah. No one's got it yet. How fast? Yeah. What was your What was your time? Uh, so that that particular year that he's talking about, I did it in uh, three hours and thirty seven minutes or something like that. Which oh, um, so that was what two thousand twelve, two thousand two thousand thirteen. Yeah. That was that was a, it. Was two thousand twelve because uh, two thousand thirteen yeah. I I was doing the the New York hundred miler instead and uh but yeah you know i always i always love that course and just because it, it felt like home so yeah it kind of felt like i had to to punctuate on that race every time that's so. that's such a that that is really fast it was it was uh, a good really tide fast. that year um so we only had uh we had an outgoing tide mm. to start which really helped because uh as you know um, the, the 128 highway bridge is kind of like the dividing point. So once you get past that point, you're going down current if the tide's going out. And so I had current all the way out the Anasquam and right out to Halibut Point and actually pretty much all the way around through to, to Thatcher's. And uh, then by then, the, the tide had pretty much gone slack. So it was a really good year for tide, and it was just absolutely glassy. And I knew that Patrick was right behind me, so I couldn't slow down. Dude, so. I was not right behind you, man. I was, man. That was that was one of the, that was one of the better beatdowns of my racing career, and it was it was it was probably one of the better races too. I mean, it was just that was, that was, race. That was also like the height of uh, stand-up paddleboard racing in New England, I think. Yeah. So there were some other guys there who were pretty fast that were right. were chomping at the bit, and so I I I just had to put the hammer down from the start and not worry about them. So. Wow. But, yeah, I, I didn't mean to say that like I was some kind of anything other than just some dude, but it was a good. Uh, I just tried really hard and I made no no gains. It was just like the Millennium Falcon scene, like. <laughs> but they didn't, run, they didn't run it this year, correct? Because of COVID nineteen. That's yeah. right. That's right. I I I think I I hope to do the course uh, soon. Well, it's always there. Yeah, yeah. So. I have a I have a marathon canoe paddler um, who's really good paddler who we've been paddling some OC two and um, we're yeah we're gonna do the course. Nice. So, yeah, it's gonna be great. Have uh, have any other races that you had scheduled been canceled or uh, gone to the the virtual race? I can't get on board with the virtual race. Yeah, I, just, I can't do it. Um, but have you have you participated in any virtual races this I, this summer season? I haven't. I ha I haven't. I was gonna do this race, the the General Clinton, and um, I have a brief story about that that might be interesting. Um, so uh, this is woman. Um, 
Her name is uh, Priscilla Reinerston. And so she's been paddling marathon canoe um, since the 80s. And so Priscilla and I, uh, she, she helps to organize uh, this um, New England Canoe Kayak uh, Racing Association, NECRA. There's a lot of smaller races that happen in New England. And she's the president of that organization. So Priscilla, um, Priscilla and I got together and we decided we we're going to do the General Clinton. And of course, that didn't that didn't happen this year. But uh, but I had a great time. I trained with her through the winter, and uh, Priscilla's done the General Clinton uh, as much as almost anybody. I think she's done it about thirty three times. Wow. So I'm hinting towards her age, but I don't know whether I should really tell it because if she listens to this, I might be in trouble with her. So she's so Priscilla's she's at least seventy seven. So Priscilla and I would we we would train on the Charles like. Um, out near Denham and Needham and uh, out away from Boston where it's more narrow and the water moves quicker. And, and we, we, we would go out there with the guys that we trained with. And, um, in this past winter and we had, uh, she, uh, she tuned me up. She changed my outrigger stroke to, um, a flat water marathon racing stroke with a quicker return, uh, get the, get the stroke rate rate up. And she had the hard conversation with me about weight just really funny, and because uh, <laughs> weight weight becomes very important when you're in a boat that weighs about, you know, 25, 28 pounds or 30 pounds. You know, if you're, you know. so we we had a hard conversation in the parking lot about our our weight as a team. It's really funny, and and she tuned me up about strength training routinely, and uh, she's great. Priscilla's amazing. So, but we, we had a great time training this winter. I mean, to the point we had like a three hour training session in late February on the Charles when it was about, it, it got up to 36 degrees that day. And we're oh. out there just her and I in, in fast moving water. She is tough as nails. So, uh, so I got to know Priscilla a little bit better. So that's great. But the race got canceled and, um, we're gonna find another race, she and I, at some point. It might might not be till next year, but that that yeah. So that the General Clinton, that was a race I was really tracking towards, and that's a that's actually that's a whole event where they have three days of a, of different races and this and that. And I was looking forward to that. But to answer the other question, I, the virtual race, I haven't done it. Um, Mary Kay did um the uh, what is it the M two M two O virtual race this past yep, weekend, yep. the yep. Polakai, and so um. She went out in Salem and Beverly and, excuse me, uh, more Marblehead, but whatever. Uh, to most people, that's all, whatever. It's all Massachusetts. And uh, she did that this past weekend, and um, she did pretty good. She got a little seasick, and she had to work something out, but, um, but she get out there. So I know a lot of people who did that. Mark Priest did that down in Rhode Island, and other people did. So, okay. Yeah. yeah, for some reason, I just can't get on board with the whole thing, and I don't know. It really uh, hasn't made me want to train for anything. So, I, I admittedly I have not been on the water much. I've done a handful of downwind paddles on my own, and yep. you know our, our canoe club is paddling a couple times a week. But the few times I've gone, we either haven't had enough guys to take the boat out, or I've shown up a few minutes late and the boat's already on the water, or oh. it's always something. So I don't know. I've just Kind of put my head down and do been doing my own training kind of off the water but yeah uh, 
I don't. I don't know. I just, I just can't get. I, I can't wrap my head around uh, the idea of a race when all your competitors aren't right next to you. Yeah. So That's a whole different thing. Yeah, I think we'd all agree that it's good that it's happening, but it's it's a different. It's definitely a different feel. Yeah. Right. To be like, oh, well, here's my electronic results and a couple of photos, and it's yeah. good that it's happened, but I, I haven't, yeah. I haven't done that. And you're you're planning on going to Chattajack, correct? Yeah, you bet. This is this is the year. This is this is your year. This is your belt buckle year. This is belt buckle year. Yeah. So oh, I, that's exciting. I I am registered for um two person canoe. Mary Kay's doing stand up paddleboard. I haven't quite figured out who my partner is, um, it's possible I might go to, I might bring one of my one person canoes, not a, not an OC one, but I have, I have a, <laughs> I have a 1987 Wabash Valley Kevlar boat made in sounds 1987. Like, sounds like you should strap bird on there and go. Yeah. 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 And, um, so I might, I might, I might paddle that or I might convince, uh, somebody to, to go with me we'll see we'll see how it works out but this is this is the year this is year five so uh that's amazing yes. good for you yeah i'm psyched hey, i don't think we've had anybody on here who's crossed over between outrigger and marathon canoeing what what it, i don't have a lot of experience with either stroke but um it, se it seems from what i've seen of uh, marathon canoe videos it's, there's a lot of arm and it's a real quick cadence and it's almost like a quick tapping whereas outrigger is more of a drive with the with the hips and the body and pushing off with the feet and there's a lot more whole body action going on in outrigger than there is. i mean what, what differentiates the two strokes because i don't know yeah that's a, that's a great question it is, there's a lot of folks who do who do both really well um for sure but it, um, i'm i'm honored to take a stab at that to try to answer that so uh when i first learned um, OC6 outrigger canoes. So those those boats are 350 pounds. They're big, heavy fiberglass boats that we're using, and you, you can really throw your weight around. And unless you were enormous or really did something really strange, you wouldn't make the boat wiggle. The boat wouldn't. You know what I mean? You can really just drive down like oh, you were yeah. chopping wood. You just boom, and then you pick up you pick up the paddle higher during your return. Um, you know to get over the waves, and so. And in marathon canoe paddling, lakes and rivers, they generally call it flat water, although the water might be moving. Um, you have a higher cadence. You need to keep the keep your body sort of still except for what's going in the water. You know what I mean? You can't you can't be wiggling the boat on every stroke. It's, it's taking energy out of the forward motion of the craft. Mm. Um, you're reaching you're you know, you're not regularly reaching out. You're you're reaching past, you know, to your feet or past your feet for marathon, and uh, the stroke is shorter. You're not bringing it all the way back to your hip usually. That's pretty far back for marathon. And and during the return, you might be dropping that top hand to to bring, and the paddle's coming back sort of like horizontally. Yeah. You know, and it sounds sounds like I might have been paddling at the Yukon entirely wrong. <laughs> well, you guys came in third place, and you were the first. You're the first C two, so I think I think you did well. 
Um, plus we had plus we had four hundred pounds of shit in the boat, so that that would, that would explain <laughs> the stability. So in, in, in maritime canoe paddling, paddling the the paddles are generally so Zevril owns like most of the you know the the sport in terms of paddles, CRE, and um, so those paddles are super super light. Uh, the face of them are not there's not as many square inches as an outrigger. The face of it. You might measure it by the width, but the overall square inches, yeah. you're not getting to 111 square inches. Like your quick blade has like an amazing outrigger paddle that I own. I think it's 111 square inches. I don't, I don't know what Zavril is with that face, but it's much smaller. And, um, so yeah. for, for the start of our Yukon race, I was using this giant Tahitian outrigger paddle yeah. and just getting giant grabs of water for the first Eight hours, ten hours, yeah. for the entire first day, and yeah. then, uh, and then the next day, uh, I dropped down to this Werner stand-up paddle that we yep. that I had chopped to make it the canoe length that I needed, right. And, right. and that that was probably only a ninety, either an eighty-seven or a ninety-three uh, blade face. So I went from a giant blade to a yeah. So like a toothpick. Yeah. And, uh, it, it definitely saved my arms and my shoulders, but I, I was happy to have that big blade that first day just to like make, just to make a statement and get out in front of everybody. Uh, I feel like getting that big grab was what we needed just to kind of push through that first day. So, yeah. So the, you know, with a smaller face, you could really pick up the stroke rate and you're, you're generally over 60 strokes per minute. And, uh, and I think we were, we were probably doing over 60. Yeah. It's a, our, it's a our entire day. Now, yeah. I should clarify when I did, when I did Texas water safari, that stroke rate, it couldn't be low enough for me. I was in the back of the boat, the stern and Mike Hayes is really, really good paddle. And I was like, could you slow it down? And he goes, okay. And he, he must've got to 45 strokes a minute. Cause I was just, I was coming glued. You know, so yeah, would, would you say, and I find that a higher cadence stroke, even if you're, so when you increase the cadence, obviously you're pulling a little slightly less hard because you don't have the time to power through the water. But yeah. I find that those higher cadence strokes are almost more taxing. Like I've, I've been doing a lot of heart rate training lately. Yeah. I'm watching as just to get myself to a higher zone, I'll just increase my cadence. Like I'll jump up to like 65 to get into like a zone four kind of scene, but that should wipe you out, man. The bigger, deeper strokes for me, the heart rate stays down more. Yeah, I understand. I so for maritime canoe paddling, flat water paddling, there's I. It depends on my partner. When when I have Priscilla, well, Priscilla, I'm in, I'm I'm in the bow in the front of the boat. I'm the muscle, and she's the brain. She puts the boat right where it needs to be in that river every single time. And my job is to move the boat. And so and she move, she's moving it also, but, you know, you get it. So um, my stroke rate needs to stay high for her because she's making a lot of small adjustments in the back mm -hmm. of the boat to keep that back end swinging around where, so that it's going to point in the right direction. And so the times where I have really dug in and slowed down the rate, she's like, you got to pick it up. Wow. And so, and so I figured out. Again, with the people who are really the men and women who are really good marathon canoe paddlers, which I I don't know if I put I'm not in that category. There's no question. 
they have a stroke, uh, a high stroke rate, and they can apply power right in the front. And it's a very decisive catch. You know, it, it, everybody would say the catch is important in terms of uh, no matter what, no matter what sport it is, what what kind of paddling it is, right. I should say. Right. But that that catch is really decisive. It's it's you know, you're basically planting the blade, pulling the boat up to it. This sounds familiar, right, from outrigger. Yeah. Um, but it's it's shorter. So anyway, when I when I get in the boat with um, another guy stronger than me, and if I'm in the front of the boat um, for a race, we might sh slow it down to below 60 strokes per minute and just really be, you know, pulling really really hard for a shorter race. We're talking. I'm mm -hmm. talking about a 10 mile race. Yeah. Yep. yep. There's different ways to get it done. I don't know. There's, I don't think yeah. there's right. Yeah, interesting. You watch the Tahitian guys too, and you know, if you look at the outrigger stroke, there's a, especially with the OC1 with the rudder steering, there's a lot of room for sloppiness because you can correct with the uh, with the rudder. But you know, remember I had that V1 last year, two years ago that you that you turned me on to, and and after studying kind of what the Tahitian guys are doing and and putting in the little time that I did. You really do have to keep your body like super still. Like everything has to be all directed towards the water because those things just like whoop, they're gone. Like you, you lose a couple strokes and the thing's sideways. Yeah. The other thing that um, when it, you know, for flat water paddling or marathon paddling or whatever you want to call it, um, you're you're influencing the direction of the boat by leaning. You're generally leaning to the opposite side that you want the boat to go to. Um, you can have a forward stroke, a forward sort of you know, good hard forward stroke, both paddlers. And if you lean to the right, the boat will go to the left for you. And if you have to do a, a 180 turn on a buoy, that's just different technique there. But um, yeah. so that's, you know, that's dissimilar from OC1, OC2, OC6. Either OC1, OC2, you know, obviously you have a rudder. OC6 yeah. is, a, you know, uh, you know, obviously there's somebody in the back. That's yeah. But if you lean to the side in those boats, it doesn't. Well, <laughs> lean to the right, you might flip it over. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so they're, so they're really right. sensitive to leaning, is what I'm saying. In yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense now when you when you look at the light tapping in the very still body, and when you when you put it in the in the sense of these guys are racing, you know, some of those Savage River C1s are like under 20 pounds for an 18 and a half foot boat. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. So I guess any little, like if you fart wrong, the thing's going to be like, you know, off, <laughs> off sideways. Obviously, yeah. the fart would be a whistle like that unless it was like some Taco Bell pre-race thing or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, this kind of thing I'm trying to avoid because usually it's not a bathroom nearby. Yeah. You know? So having, wow. so having done like the Muskokas and all these big races, and we got into this a little bit with Jim, and it's it's kind of a, not really many people talk about it, but it, it's kind of caught my attention since then. But so obviously you you're familiar with the dark places in your mind uh, doing these yeah. things, and so are you consciously aware of how you manage that stuff, or are you just or like Will says, he just kind of compartmentalizes it in pieces like you just got to get to that point just got to get to that bear over there we just got to get to that rapid i mean is there how do you how do you manage the shitty times do you do you know how you do it or are you just kind of free form do you have a 
like, okay, this is happening now. I'm feeling like shit. I know this is happening. It's like, is there a way that you, I, I don't even know what I'm getting at, but it, it's, it's like, I, I'm just, yeah, it's, 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 it's how emotional you get. Yeah. It's like, and people return to this. Like, you know, you do this race, like, I don't know if I'd ever go back to the Yukon because it sucks so bad, but it's just like, there are other things I want to do and, and people keep coming back to it. Obviously the reward on the other side is a big draw, but like, how do you, how do you manage those dark times? Do you have a, I don't I think, know. It's kind of a broad question. No, it's a, yeah, it's a great question. So I, uh, it, the Texas water safari, I had, and I tell people this, I had the, the full range of emotions, like the full range. Like, like, including the training, like anxiety during training, my training enough, and, and then hope during training, and, and excitement, anticipation, and then as the race approached, and then and then with the taper, I was like kind of coming unglued in my house in Massachusetts before the race. I was really nervous and anxious, and and then got in the area and you kind of get on the river and practice a little bit, check it, and then. And that's good. And I met up with my partner. I was happy to see him. And we had stuff to do to get the boat ready. And then, frankly, I think I might have experienced terror, like before the race, <laughs> like the day before the race. I'm oh, like, yeah. in my head, I'm like, I, I shouldn't be here. Yeah. You know, I didn't verbalize that because now I have a partner, right? And um, but I was like, I, this is terrible. I don't want to do this. You know, a certain part of my brain it wasn't verbalizing mm. it. And then. Then you start the race and you start to either get rid of some of the jitters and you start to relax and then joy and this is beautiful and thanking my partner every day for racing with me and then but then also kind of being probably not being very nice to him the whole time and uh so how do you manage those sort of bad times um yeah like with the shit times when you're you with can't a, stay awake I, you're hurting yeah um with a partner you're trying to figure out like what to verbalize and what not to and how to keep things relatively positive but still tell them what your needs are uh the second day the texas water safari it was literally 100 degrees the thermometer said 100 degrees so the heat index whatever that is with humidity was like maybe 110 120 so we decided hey we're going to get out and just submerge ourselves in this water cool off periodically we're going to talk about what we need and have our electrolytes and all that um but i think just try not to get too excited either way and try, just try to stay calm and realize that you can't for these ultra long races you can't out paddle it yeah you have a certain period of time that you just need to be there and be yeah. okay with it and I don't know. Then it's like cliches, like embrace the suck, enjoy all the yeah. suffering. Um, yeah. You're just trying to <laughs> you're trying to maintain your body. Your skin becomes very important in these really long races. You know, sunburn yeah. and chafing and poison ivy. I don't know. So maybe it's the question that can't be answered, right? It's yeah. It's I think I think we do have remarkable ability to to uh, not remember suffering as much as. Um, positive pleasurable experiences yeah but um i don't know try to try to stay just mildly positive in those moments can go a long way we took we took breaks where i was sleeping in the boat and mike was paddling from the front um 
communicating what you need, what your needs are, realizing that it's going to be very difficult, but it's going to, you're going to get through it. So, yeah. What is, uh, what's your training plan for Chad Jack look like since that's coming up? Mm -hmm. yeah, what, 10 weeks? What? Yeah. I think 12, 12 weeks. So I was going to do the, the Texas water safari had been put off to, uh, to September as a proactive sort of thing with COVID. And then it, and then about three weeks ago when it, it went away, it got canceled together. So up to three weeks ago, I was training an, an awful lot. And so I've kind of slacked off a little bit where I think I'm paddling about three days a week. Um, two hours, three hours of the long, those are the longer sessions. Um, I do tend to paddle on Wednesdays at night and then try to get up on Thursday before work and go out again with, with another partner, uh, even C1. So about three days a week. And, I, you know, I, I frankly, I need to get more serious about it at some point as far as ramping up those hours, you know, to like a four-hour session and, and that sort of thing. So um, I, would, I would think you have a little bit of time before that. I, I would think that that would probably come early to mid-September. Yeah. And then you could start That's coming right. down slowly. So I would say getting on the water three days a week, four if I'm being better. Um, but I, I'll tell you something, Will, to be honest, I, I've been trying to paint my house for about three years now. I'll open there's some crossover there with scraping the side of a old house. Yeah, you ever yeah. see the Karate Kid? Yeah, sure. There it is. Yeah. Wax on, wax yeah. off. Danielson. So uh, you don't need yeah. those cable pulls if you scrape with a straight arm. You just you're doing like a cable pull action. You're right with that scraper, the two-handed scraper that you can yeah. get with a knob on it. Do, do yourself a favor and buy the, the nice carbide Sandvik one. You will save yourself so much time. You are the same person that you, you, somebody told me the same thing yesterday. I'm trying to say oh a buddy God. of mine, Sandvik yesterday. Yeah. Maybe there should be like a Sandvik sponsorship for Wicked Aloha. And if you want to save money, given that Sandvik blades are ridiculously expensive, buy yourself a diamond stone because diamond will cut tungsten carbide. So you can actually tune those blades up. You don't have to throw them away. That's what I do. I have one, and I just run the run the uh, the blade on my diamond stone, and it comes like back to back to magic mode. My God, those things are so amazing. I just I use them for making boards. I use them for so much. They're just incredible tools, man. Tungsten carbide's the shit. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Well, that yeah. that seems like a good place to to wrap up. Um, Scott, it's been awesome just kind of picking your brain about long distance stuff and figuring out how to manage home life, work life, and paddle life. So thank you for uh, for sharing sharing your knowledge with us. Yeah, today. thanks, thanks, thanks Will. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Patrick. I really appreciate it. It's really but, it's really but, fun to talk to you guys. Good luck with uh, the rest of your Chadjack training, and um, yeah, just just keep going forward. Yeah. Right on. Thanks, guys. Oh. All right. Guys. We will talk to you soon. Do my best to your wife. And All kids. right. I mean, and Jura. And uh, hope she's enjoying that paddle still. Yeah, she she's digging that. She's digging that paddle. Awesome. Right on. Right on. Well, thank you, Scott. All right, Scott. 
All right, guys. brother. Thanks. Aloha. See ya. Thank you so much for listening. As always, please subscribe, comment, rate, and follow us on Instagram at wicked.aloha.podcast. Until next time, keep paddling, keep training, and as always, keep moving forward.